We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always, my co-host Nick Pilato. And today, a special guest. Probably the most anticipated guest we have year after year. We, we're lucky enough to get him more than once a year these days. I don't know what Nick's doing over there. The woo mark in. Some under-the-table stuff, potentially. I don't know for sure. But Mark Schofield will be joining us here shortly to break down quarterbacks. I mean, that's what he does best. He has a lot of knowledge of the game on positions other than quarterbacks as well. So I don't want to limit him to that or sound like I'm limiting him to that. But as far as these quarterbacks go, man, does he watch a lot of film on them? It's crazy. I've asked him his process in the past for breaking down these quarterbacks on tape, and it's as thorough as it gets. So we wanted to discuss with him a few things from the quarterback position, one being Tyrod Taylor, the Giants' recent free agent acquisition, a player who in some ways may be viewed as a backup this season, but other people may be viewing him as a as a legit competitor for this starting job, whether that be in week one or at some stretch point, if the Giants struggle or if Daniel Jones gets injured again, he's been injured every season of his career. Then we want to talk about this rookie quarterback class, because guess what? The Giants news regime has told us quite, quite clearly they are scouting this class. That's something we didn't feel exactly like they were doing the last two seasons, but they've sent guys to pro days. They've started watching the tape. They've talked of the importance of the quarterback room, the quarterback two position, just adding talent overall to that position. So we're going to talk a lot about those prospects as well. A little bit on Daniel Jones, probably not as much as we usually do on Jones. Maybe that's for another podcast. We will touch a little bit there. But before we do any of that, Mark, welcome back to the Big Blue Bander podcast. Thank you again for joining us. Dan, Nick, it's a pleasure to be here as always. And, and as you sort of alluded to, I'm not going to comment on what Nick's doing to get me back time after time again. Um, <laughs> but let's just say Nick is a dear, dear friend. It has been for a long time, so I'm always happy to come on. And Dan, you've become a dear friend as well. So I'm always happy to come on. You guys don't have to do anything. I'm just happy to be here. Well, I thought maybe if Nick flashed that man bun in the video, that could actually. Well, he did, fl- and I did yeah. take a, a picture of that. Yeah, so I do so that. Helps. I will cherish the photo. That always helps. 
All right. Yeah, anyway, y'all, Mark, y'all are ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Nick, you don't get a man bun like that without a lot of hard work. I don't think I could do that if I even tried, but you know what? I've tried. Mine would be gray, bit. so I'm not going to try. Yeah, I'm not even going to try. Look, Nick's a good looking guy. He works yeah. hard at it. I've tried to go on a little on, on like the Nick Filato diet at, at times in the past. It's lasted me all of 32 minutes, maybe occasionally a little longer, but then I crack <laughs> and I get back to my old ways. But let's talk football here. And I want to start, Mark, with the Tyrod Taylor. And I'm calling him Tyrod, Tyrod, Tyrod. Call him what you want. Because you know what? His real name is Tyrod. That's how it's pronounced. But he doesn't mind when people call it Tyrod. So I know we've been getting some comments on it, but that's what we're going to do. So the Tyrod Taylor signing with the Giants. My first question for you would be, what have you seen on tape that leads you to believe he could be a good fit in the Brian Dayball system? And do you actually believe that he could be actual competition for Jones in or as early as training camp preseason time? You know, I'm, I'm Dan, I'm not so convinced that he'd be legitimate competition. You know, I don't think it's going to be a quarterback battle, so to speak. But I do think that the Giants are going to enter training camp with an open mind. I mean, obviously, we have seen organizations over the past couple of years when there's a regime change, when there's a new head coach, when there's a new general manager, you know, people that have not selected the quarterback that's currently entrenched as the starter – they'll have an open mind to it. And we've seen teams move on. We just saw the Cleveland Browns, you know, a couple of years ago was the Arizona Cardinals. And so, you know, Joe Shane, Brian Dable, you know, they did not draft Daniel Jones. We don't know exactly where they had Daniel Jones sort of ranked when, you know, they were drafting quarterbacks. Obviously they didn't need to do a a deep quarterback drive that year because they had just drafted Josh Allen. So maybe they didn't pay a ton of attention to that class, but I'm sure they ranked them and, who knows where Jones was on their board. Maybe he was high. Maybe they did think he was the best of that group. So, you know, I, I don't think that it's a situation where you can say with absolute certainty, yeah, Dan Jones is locked in. I think they'll approach it with an open mind. I think if Jones shows that there's some struggles during training camp, I think if there's a difficulty sort of grasping what they're doing offensively, I think they'd certainly be open to starting Tyrod Taylor. But I don't think they're going to approach it like, yeah, the quarterback job is wide open. They'll probably say the typical things like, you know, every position is up for grabs and, you know, people have to earn starting spots. Sure. But I think their approach is going to be, it's Daniel Jones's job sort of to lose. But if Tyrod forces our hand, we're not going to feel timid or scared or anything about starting him. As far as Tyrod's fit, you know, what's interesting about Dable is he has certainly shown over the years – a willingness to adapt his offense to what his quarterbacks do best. And, you know, I think that was by and large a huge reason for Jones's, I mean, excuse for Allen's success was that willingness of Dable to say, look, you know, whatever you like, we'll run. What you don't like, we'll strip out. You know, we'll, we'll take it out of the playbook. He said that when he was hired. He said that again at the combine. Like he's very clear about like what he wants it to be sort of a collaborative effort between quarterback and coach. Like what you like, we'll run. What you don't, we won't. You know, so I think whether it's Jones, whether it's Taylor, like they're going to sort of, come together with an offense that will fit them. Now, from Taylor specifically, what really stands out watching him, you go back, you watch his game week one against Jacksonville. That was one of the more eye-open performances I saw in all of last year from any quarterback. Like His ability to make throws downfield, his ability to make throws downfield with anticipation, downfield under pressure. He had some throws to Cooks in that game. I've got him up right now where it's like, man, he is throwing this well before the break, well before Cooks is even thinking about breaking. And so Taylor has an understanding of concepts, leverage, anticipation, things that all quarterbacks need regardless of system. And so I think that certainly stands out. Taylor's ability to make throws from crowded pockets with trash at his feet, that certainly stands out. And given his experience in the league and in a number of different systems, 
he's going to be a guy that like you won't need to give a ton of reps to during the week. And if something happens like in the second quarter, he can just roll out and go. He's going to be fine from that perspective, which by and large also helps Jones because he'll get more reps during the week. So I, I think it's a move to be viewed with positivity across the board. I think it was smart by the New York Giants to Brandon Taylor because he can give you that backup option. And he can give you that sort of guy that can roll without a ton of reps, doesn't need a ton of work. And then there's also this, like he was in Cleveland, then suddenly it's Baker. He was, you know, in Los Angeles, and then suddenly, look, Justin Herbert. And then he goes to Houston, and suddenly, hey, Davis Mills isn't a bad quarterback. Maybe there's this, like, young quarterback development by osmosis going on, where wherever Tyrod and Tyrod ends up, that young quarterback suddenly looks pretty good. Now, and so maybe that rubs off as well. And look, he's extremely knowledgeable, knows offenses inside out, has a lot of experience. And so that should be a help for Daniel Jones as well. We've talked about it in the times that have come on, like having that extra set of eyes and ears and a, a, almost a peer in a sense as a sort of mentor slash coach certainly helps. Um, and by and large, all reports about Taylor from a, you know, veteran quarterback mentorship perspective are positive. You know, it's not like a Joe Flacco situation. So I think that will also help Jones. And so I know I threw a lot out there, Dan, but I think it was a smart move by the Giants. I think Taylor will fit in whatever Dable wants to do, particularly if they lean into the vertical passing game like we've been clamoring for, for years with Jones. I'd imagine that's where they want to go anyway, and so Taylor fits that. Veteran presence, leadership, mentorship, all that stuff. I think he checks a lot of boxes for what the Giants need, both with respect to a backup quarterback with a potential guy that can step in and for what they need Daniel Jones to show this year. So an upgrade over Mike Glennon, I would say. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I just I just talked for 15 minutes, but the short answer, the TLDR is upgrade over Mike Glennon. There you go. So I have to ask you then, what exactly happened during that Miami game where it kind of looked like he unraveled? He threw three interceptions. He looked very rattled in that game. Did you get eyes on that film? Yeah, and I, I think, Nick, my that was during sort of a stretch where it was like, yeah, Miami's coming on. And whatever's happened in, happened in Miami with the Brian Flores situation, all of that, like one thing that they were certainly able to do is confuse quarterbacks, get pressure on quarterbacks, like – you know, zero blitz stuff, zero blitz, then drop, like really sort of get them to struggle. And I think you saw a lot of that in that game. Like, you know, you're, you're seeing snaps where it was like, he wasn't sure who was coming, who was going. It was certainly sort of taking him off of his game. It was a situation where Miami schematically does so much from a pressure standpoint and from a blocking angle standpoint where you just don't know you've got seven guys up front, who's coming, who's not. You've got eight guys in the box. Who's coming? Who's not? You've got late blitzers. Like the first pick he threw, he was under pressure because a guy was coming from the second level looping around, and he timed it perfectly. Who was it? it was Jones. Times it perfectly, loops around, gets into the backfield, and Tyrod's kind of dead to right. Like he floats one up to the left, to the left side, and it's kind of underthrown. Safety gets over the top, and it's intercepted. I mean – Miami did a lot schematically that will cause a lot of quarterbacks problems. They did things against Lamar last year. They did things against other quarterbacks that really forced them to make throws early in the down under pressure and, you know, to adjust their eye levels and to bring pressure secondary or even tertiary pressure from spots where they're not expected. And so, you know, that's something all quarterbacks struggle with. I don't think it's something specific to Taylor, but it's something that, you know, if, if defense is going to see that on film and Tyrod's playing next year, they're going to look at that Miami game and say, okay, what can we replicate? What can, from that game plan from Brian Flores and company last year, can we replicate to sort of get him off of his game, to get him off the spot, to get him a little bit flustered? So I think it was a bit schematic 
that's common to a lot of quarterbacks, but it certainly gave him trouble. And I think what's interesting based on that breakdown is at least what I'm taking away that's interesting is I've kind of been looking for this for a while. Yeah, I did convince myself to come fully around on the Patrick Graham defense. It was fun. He was clever. He had some good game plans. But the sound of that and what sounds like to me is a lot of what we're going to see this year as Giants fans, Wink Martindale coming in as a defensive coordinator. And I've always been a big believer in dictating as a defense dictating to the offense. And, you know, there's so many quarterbacks who are still so far, stuff so much, much room to grow. And there's not enough good quarterbacks to me to sit back and just, you know, dictate. And I think that the Giants would have, the Giants did obviously struggle with that Dolphins defense as well. So obviously Daniel Jones didn't play that game. But in the past, we've seen a lot of quarterbacks. You mentioned Lamar Jackson. Um, so my question for you would be taking aside that game and just looking, kind of viewing it as a prism as look, Dolphins made it really hard for a lot of quarterbacks. Is there a legitimate case in your mind, Mark? I know I agree with you. It's not going to happen. It's not going to start this way. The Giants want Daniel Jones to be the starter, and he will for week one. But is there a legitimate case to be made that based on the traits and based on the film that you've seen, you know, things that you've even mentioned just now, like the anticipatory throwing you saw from Taylor in that week one game, some of the some of his ability to throw within a muddy pocket. For me, it's also his ability to maintain ball placement while moving and throwing on the run. That's something Daniel Jones struggles mightily with is there a legitimate case to be made that right now taylor gives the giants a better chance to win than daniel jones i mean i i think you can make that case i don't know if it's a overly convincing one like you know in a court of law like i don't know if you're going to win that argument but you can certainly make a case that like look with what taylor brings to the table a with what he's shown over the years and what we've seen or perhaps haven't yet seen from jones on a consistent basis that yeah Taylor gives you a chance to win. Taylor gives you some things in the passing game that we're still craving to see from Daniel Jones, those anticipatory throws, the ability to attack over the middle, the ability to sort of react to pressure, ball security in the pocket. I mean, that's another area where we've talked about with Jones for a long time, that that has to get cleaned up, and we're still sort of seeing inconsistency there. Also, what Taylor can do with his legs. I know Jones is an athletic quarterback, sure. You know, but Taylor, very effective Runner of the football, you know, you want to get into that zone read game. He can bring that as well. And if we're talking about this too high world we're living in, where teams are going to play the two deep safety, one way to really get the numbers into your advantage in the run game is to run the quarterback. And Taylor brings that to the table as well. You know, and I've told you guys before, and I've said on other shows, I think with respect to the Giants, the week one starter isn't the big question. It's the week eight starter. Like Jones, yeah, he's the week one starter. We all expect that. Does he keep the job? And obviously with what Taylor brings to the table, there might be more of a willingness this year than perhaps in years past to say, you know what, we're struggling, we're sputtering, we're not where we need to be offensively. We've got a guy we can go to to make a change with the confidence that he's going to be able to do some things that we've seen over his years in the NFL that perhaps we're not getting from the offense right now. And so, yeah, I think there's a case to be made that, you know, the the heat, the seat might be pretty hot under Jones right now. And with Taylor's ability to do the things that he can, that question of who the week eight starter is becomes a bit more muddied with respect to with Taylor in full now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So not to transition away from Daniel Jones, but we do want to kind of touch on the quarterback class. Mark, it's not the strongest class. Let's be real right now. It's yeah. definitely not last year's class. No. Who is who is your number one quarterback if you had to pick somebody? And who do you think would be the best fit for Brian Dable's offense? Yeah, that that's when I was in Indianapolis for the combine, ultimately every night the conversation would turn to the quarterbacks. And it would be mere seconds, maybe a minute before the names Jimmy Garoppolo and Mitchell Trubisky came up. And that just tells you how this league feels about this quarterback group. There's some skepticism. Now, they're talented. They can do things well, you know, whether it's Willis, Pickett, Corral, Ritter, Strong, you know, Sam Howell, like those are kind of the consensus six guys at the top. There are things that they can do well. But when you see Washington, for example, sitting at 11 overall decide, we're going to trade for Carson Wentz and take a salary on. That tells you what the least Washington feels about, you know, this quarterback group. When you've got a team like Denver sitting at nine, decide to trade what they did to go get Russell Wilson. When you get, you know, teams trading out for Matt Ryan, like teams are moving towards veterans rather than, you know, guys that are going to be available. Pittsburgh at 20, all the reported is that Mike Tomlin loves Malik Willis. They signed Trubisky. Like, you know, the week one, week eight dichotomy, it seems that the NFL by and large says, yeah, we're going to need veterans for week one. Maybe we can get a guy to start by week eight, but we're not, it's not like last year, Nick. It's not like last year, guys, where it's like, yeah, you know, guys are going to be able to start week one. In, in terms of who I draft, I, I, I've warmed up to the idea of just taking the swing on Willis. Um, you know, traditionally, I'm more of the like, I need the guy that's going to be the pocket passer, that's going to read stuff out, that's going to make throws on third and seven from the pocket. But when you see the athleticism, you see the arm talent, and this was something that I had in mind before his ridiculous throws at his pro day, you take that swing. 
like maybe it's a 15%. 20, I was talking with Nate Tice at the combine. Maybe it's a 10%, 15% chance that he comes close to his ceiling. You'll bet on that. You know, you, you'll take that bet because, you know, if it hits fantastic, you look like a legend. If it doesn't, well, you're probably going to be out of a job anyway. So you might as well take that wild swing. Now, traditionally, like I said, I'm used to, usually enamored with the guys that make the reads and the throws from the pocket. Those two guys in this group, I think, are, are Pickett and Ritter. You know, and there's a case to be made. It's being made by some that Ritter might be the guy you'd bet on because you see the growth and development over the years. You see him, for example, in his game against Houston, the conference championship game. They did a lot from a spun safety perspective, two out of one, one to two, really rotating stuff at the snap and trying to make him read it out. And he's seeing that rotation and get into his best option. He's seeing two to one. Okay, I'll take my vertical to Alec Pierce on a back or a back shoulder throw to Pierce, and I'll hit that over the top for a big play. You're going to go one to two. I'll read stuff out and get to the backside dig. He had a great throw on a backside dig, I think, against USF, where it's like he's reading one, two, three, doesn't like it, comes, hits the backside dig. Stuff that other quarterbacks, younger quarterbacks, aren't doing right now. And he's doing it, you know, again, the Saturday game, but he's showing you that he can do that. A lot of people with the Raider, the reservation is, oh, ball placement, accuracy. You saw growth in that from his junior year to his senior year. Is it still where you need it to be? No. And we've talked about how accuracy is extremely important in the times I've come on with you guys, but. He's shown you growth there as well. Pickett's an interesting study. You know, I, I know his coach really well, his private quarterback coach, Tony Rossiopi. Um, he certainly reads stuff out from a mental perspective, has it, you know, from that sort of progression reads, breaking down defenses with his mind, influencing defenders with his mind, with eyes and ball fakes and flashing the football and things like that. So I like a lot of the stuff what he does. My reservation with him, is that secondary pressure stuff we just talked about. If he knows it's coming, if he sees mugged up A-gap looks and the linebackers do come through the A-gaps, he's fine. He's certainly a mobile quarterback, can move around, can throw well on the move. But if he sees mugged up A-gap pressure, those guys drop and it comes off the edges and it's a late flash, that's when he struggles a little bit. He's a little bit more inconsistent with handling pressure. And as we just talked about, teams like Miami are going to exploit that. And so, you know, that's a reservation I have with him. You know, the other guys that are sort of talked about in that mix, Matt Corral, he's going to face an adjustment um, from Kiffin's offense to what he's going to be asked to do in the NFL. You know, a lot of people, their reservations with him, and I kind of share this concern. Third and seven, Kiffin kind of said, we're going to dial up a screen. Like, we're not going to ask you to actively play quarterback and read stuff out. We're just going to give you a screen, an orbit, a smoke, something like that. We're not going to really ask you to play quarterback on third and long or in a passing situation. That gives me a little bit of pause. Um Strawn, I like. It's the medicals. Like, can he move? Can he move enough? Um, I love the way he handled it at the combine. Also, love how he talked about. Look, he had full freight at the line of scrimmage. Get into and out of stuff, whatever you want, and can check to anything, can check out of anything. I think that will help him. Certainly has an incredible arm, but the medical piece is huge. And then there's Howell, who's kind of like the the sixth guy of the group that's kind of slid under the radar. Um, start of the year is QB one or two on most boards, but certainly fell. Um, had a bad game to start things out against Virginia Tech, but has that athleticism, was a really good runner this year, really took a step forward in that regard. But he's kind of Baker-ish, and we see what the league thinks of Baker right now. So I think that's part of the reason for hesitation around him. So if you're going to ask me, like, who you're going to place the bet on early, you know, it, it's Willis because of the upside. But I do really like what Pickett and Ritter bring to the table. I think they're like – the guys that I would feel most comfortable playing early, they might not have the upside of Willis, but I like their floors better. A lot to unpack there. I want to touch a little bit first on Willis because 
while I do agree with you, traditionally speaking, you can expect more early on from players like Pickett and Ritter. I'm not so sure that's the case anymore in the NFL because if you get Willis with the right coach, he's going to craft a system for him just like Baltimore did with Lamar Jackson. And like you've seen with a lot of these talents. And to that extent, it can you can almost find success earlier on with a player like Willis. Now, it may not be long-term. Once defenses kind of adjust to what they're doing, he's going to have to obviously develop more as a quarterback. But to me, that gives him even more upside. And I think what you're what you're touching on with Willis is something that I feel strongly about at the quarterback position. I don't, and this is going to, there's a lot of Giants fans who right now who will hate on this, but if Daniel Jones, let's say, has a pretty solid season, the Giants go 10 and 7 or 11 and or whatever it may be, and they get that seventh wild card spot, he leads them to even a win in the playoffs, but then blown out the next round. A lot of people are going to sit there and tell you, you're crazy to say the Giants should move on from Jones. They need to re-sign him right now. It doesn't matter what the cost is. The market price always keeps going up. Who cares? And I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here and telling you that might be the worst possible thing that could happen for this team long-term. And it goes back to what you were saying with a 10 to 15% chance on Willis. So that's my question for you, Mark. Are you of the mindset that if you're not hitting on one of these five, top five to 10 talent type quarterbacks that have that upside, you're almost going backwards because we have a league now with Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, so, Joe Burrow, so much young talent that is superseding, that can throw through tight windows, that can make big-time throws. Like in Burrow's case, he gets the line of scrimmage. He diagnoses a lot of what he sees in that hurry-up style often and puts the ball in good spots. Is there any point anymore to, to swing for guys that don't have that Willis-type upside? Yeah, I mean, I think you raised a lot of good points, Dan. I mean, we see where this game is trending. We see the need to be able to throw on the move. We see that – Quarterbacks that have the athleticism, that have the arm talent, that have the velocity, they get a bit easier of a developmental curve because, you know, they can take that extra half second in the pocket to read something out because they know the throw is still going to get there on time because of what they can do with their arm. They know that, look, look, if, you know, I, I don't like a concept, I could still create with my legs. I could extend with my legs. I could pick up a first down with my legs if I have to. They, they have more pathways to success on a down-to-down basis than somebody like a picket, like a Ritter, who are, again, athletic quarterbacks, but maybe don't have the arm talent that, that Willis has, or, you know, maybe don't have the elite athleticism, although I think Ritter made a nice case of it, um, you know, that Willis has. And so there's certainly that idea that you place that bet on athleticism because it might make little things a little bit easier on them at the start. It might be a situation where, you know, if you don't like something, you don't like that first read, just pull it down and go. Like, we'll, we'll figure it out as we go along, but you give yourself more pathways to success on a down-to-down basis. And so I think there is something to be said for that. I think the league is trending in that direction. I think the success of guys like Herbert, where it's like, yeah, at times you can see the athleticism and things like that, but you don't know if you can read a concept out. Who cares? Like, you know, I don't need you to tell me the difference between stubby or stump. Just where's the closest defender? Can you put the football away from him? There we go. We're good. We'll figure it out. And then I think, you know, what was interesting was before the Wilson trade, there were a lot of people out in Indianapolis were saying, get Willis to Denver. Like, he'll figure it out. Like, you've got weapons around him. Right. They want to play too high because of Judy and Sutton. Like, he could run. Like, you know, there is a path where you could say Malik Willis, because of his athleticism already offers, you could still play him early because he can figure things out. He can be athletic enough to make defenders miss in space. He can be athletic enough to pick up things with his legs. He can be athletic enough to extend plays with his legs, turn things into scramble drills. And now you've got guys running free and open in the downfield passing game. And so, you know, I think that the way the league is trending at the position, you know, the days of the, like, you know, the guy that's going to read something out on third and seven, being the guy you pick over the guy that's going to create something with his legs on third and seven. I think those days 
are in the rearview mirror. You still need to do that, but the guys that can offer more, that more upside, that explosive athleticism, that's where the league's trending at the position, even letting those guys play early because of the stress it puts on defense. So other than Malik Willis, because I think we're all in agreement that Malik Willis probably has the most upside and would be the most desirable option for the New York Giants if they were to go quarterback. But if we remove him from the conversation, is there another one of those top five quarterbacks that you think fits well with what Brian Dable wants to do? Yeah, I mean, I, I would make a case for both Pickett and Ritter. Um, you know, two sort of different cases. I mean, I, I think with Pickett, what I really like about him is his willingness and ability to consistently attack the middle of the field. You know, I, I really believe that in today's NFL, you have to be able to attack. Like if you imagine the nine grid, right? Like nine sections of the field, like short left, short middle, short right, and on down the field. You're going to be able to attack all nine. You're going to stress all nine as a quarterback. If you can't, team's going to be able to take stuff away. Like if you can only attack to the outside, teams will have an answer for that. If you can only attack short over the middle, teams will have an answer for that. And the thing that sort of stands out about Pickett watching him is his ability to layer throws, his ability to like work the middle of the field, his ability to drop a throw over the second level of the defense and in front of the third level. And when you watch Dable's offense, when you see what he was able to do with Josh Allen, those layered throws, crossing routes, attacking the middle of the field, that was a sort of big part of Allen's development. Was when he started doing that, you saw so much else open up for that Bills offense in the passing game. And so I think Pickett brings that. I think Ritter can do that as well. I talked about the backside digs and things like that. And then, you know, what I, again, like about Ritter is the mental side of it, the sort of reading rotations, spun safety looks. So I think, look, if you're going to take Willis out of it, Pickett and Ritter are the guys that I still like on day one for the Giants and for a lot of other teams. And those are the guys that I think end up going in the first round, those three right there. Well, assuming they end up going in the first round right there, I don't really foresee the Giants using five or seven on either of those players. Right. But, and I, and I would, well, I, before I even move on, I would say, would you think that they should use, are those players worth five or seven to you? See, that's just it. Like for a team like the Giants, I don't think they are. I mean, where you're at least in a, a scenario where you've got a plausible starting quarterback on your roster right now, Daniel Jones, the guy that you're trying to get there, then turn it around and using five or seven on guys where, you know, big board wise, they're probably in the twenties. Um, it doesn't, the value doesn't seem to be there, particularly with the other needs you've got to address. And the giants are in an interesting position now with the way this sort of draft is shaken out. Five might be in, at, you know, a desirable spot to get to. If you're a team that's actually going to trade for one of these quarterbacks, like if you're one of these teams that like, like Pittsburgh, like, you know, any new Orleans teams that, Got went the veteran route, but you could still see being in the quarterback market. They might want to get ahead of Carolina at six. And, and so, you know, whether it's Seattle coming up, whether it's Atlanta maybe coming up, who knows? Five might be an interesting spot um, for a trade. And so it might work in New York's favor where you have an opportunity to slide back a couple of picks, pick up a future first. I know that's a scenario that a lot of Giants fans have talked about. Like, yeah, this quarterback class is shaky. Maybe next year's is better. There's a lot of buzz. We're, we're recording this on CJ Stroud. He was thrown at the Ohio State Pro Day. And there's a lot of buzz already about him. And so maybe it's an opportunity to pick up that extra first, give yourself a pathway next year, and address other needs, offensive line, edge, corner. Like there's a lot of things that the Giants could address with those two first picks. And so I don't think that there's a guy at five or at seven for the Giants that I'd say, yeah, if they're there, take them. I mean, given the other needs – 
given the fact that, yeah, you're trying to build Daniel Jones and get him to where he needs to be. I don't think it makes much sense. Now, look, if they love a guy, this is a quarterback driven league. Like you got to figure it out. And if you're in, you know, year four now and you're not sure, you don't have the guy. Like there's that argument to be made. If you're not sure here in year four, then the answer is no. And you draft a guy. And if you love Malik Willis and he's staring you at the face of five, then just draft him. Like if that's the approach they want to take, I would get it. Um, I certainly, I, I think you still give it another year and you have an opportunity to address other stuff. So if you have to draft quarterback next year, they're stepping into a better situation. So I wouldn't do it. But if they love a guy and like we said, you're not sure if you have the guy, therefore you don't then draft him. Yeah. And that's, that's a really interesting point of view on that. I, I have, I wanted to ask you something about another quarterback who might be available on day two, but I don't want to miss this opportunity to first go over something you just said there. I think we are all in agreement that if there is a team that's going to move up to five or seven, most likely five, it will be for Malik Willis. Yeah. At this point, that's where we're at now. From what you've been, from what you heard at the combine, what teams were did you hear that were most connected to Willis? Because I'm going to try to frame together here for our listeners how realistic it is for a trade. Because you need two parts to be in play. You need a team to be very interested in Malik Willis, and you need that team to be in a range where they can trade a pick with the Giants. The Giants will want in, in addition to the future pick they're getting. Yeah, I mean the, the team you hear connected most often is Pittsburgh. Um, Mike Tomlin was at Willis's pro day. He took him to dinner the night before. You know, we all saw the clip of that 75-yard throw rolling to his left. And as he wheels away and airplanes away in celebration, you see Mike Tomlin in the background looking on like a proud father. I mean, there's been a lot of dots connected between Malik Willis, Mike Tomlin, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, to get from 20 to 5, like, you know, that that's, that's a pretty big jump. Now, they don't have a ton of picks. You know, they've got a, a second rounder at 52, a third at 84, a fourth-round comp at 138. You know, that that's a lot. Now, do the Steelers have a ton of needs to address outside of quarterback? You know, maybe offensive line, maybe at a receiver. Um, they might feel like, look, we got Trubisky. We got Mason Rudolph. We got Dwayne Haskins. We've got guys that could start week one, but we don't think they're the long-term answer. We need to make sure we have that long-term answer. We're going to go get with Malik Willis. You know, the Steelers are the, th- are the team I think would be in the mix to sort of trade up. Whether they do or not remains to be seen. But then the other question becomes, are you willing to go all the way back from five to 20? Like, that's the other thing. You know, picking up the extra, the future first rounder might be nice and all, but moving from five to 20, now you're suddenly taking yourself out of like Kayvon Thibodeau, Sauce Gardner, Aiden Hutchinson, that kind of range. Now you're looking at 20. It's like, well, draft looks a lot different there. That's more Zion Johnson territory. That's more Kenny Green territory. Like the change in talent is a bit different. They're, you're still going to get a first round player, but you know, five and 20 are different spots on the board. So if you're Joe Shane, you're going to get a lot more. Like you're probably asking for future first, in addition to just say next year's, maybe a first and a second and an additional future first rounder. So, you know, that's the sort of framework here. Yeah, it's, it's nice in theory to say, yeah, trade back you know, get an extra first or two down the road, give yourself the head against Jones. But are you willing to go from five to 20 or maybe five to 18, say it's the New Orleans Saints instead, and get yourself in a much different range in terms of the talent that's going to be available when you're on the clock? And I find that fascinating too, because the Giants were 
in a similar situation last year where they passed up on Rashawn Slater and Micah Parsons to trade back. And yeah, we have a first round pick in the top 10 this year, but sure. We would also love to have Rashawn Slater as our right yeah. tackle at the moment. Yeah. So that's another I mean, huge part about it. You look at a big board. I just pulled up the draft networks, you know, top 100 players and 18 is Drake London, 19, Chris Olave, 20 is Trevor Pennon. Like that's the sort of range you're talking about. 21, Nicole Dean, who I love, but still, but then top five, you're talking about, Thibodeau, Neil, Stinley, Booth, Jermaine Johnson. That seems a little high, but okay. Uh, Jameson Williams, Gardner, like that's the tiers you're switching to. And so, you know, maybe you can rationalize it like one of those guys will be there at seven, you know, so you're okay moving out. So maybe you get uh, a Neil who falls to you at seven. Maybe Gardner, you're okay with that, or Jermaine Johnson at seven. And then, you know, you'll get a good player at 20. It won't be two of those guys. You'll get one and future draft capital. You know, maybe think, that's the cost-benefit analysis there. I think with the depth of the draft, I'm I'm okay with that. Now, it all depends on who is available at five. Like, Kayvon Thibodeau is a hard person to pass up, in my opinion. Yeah. But, I mean, getting draft capital for next year, ammunition to trade up for a C.J. Stroud or a Bryce Young, to me, with also getting second, third-round picks this year in a deep draft, I would welcome that. Dan, what's your opinion on that? I think I would welcome it as well. Again, there is just so much that goes into this. There's so much you can find studies wise from an economic standpoint, yeah. from more than just an economic standpoint that shows the value in training, trading back. I think PFF recently did a really good study on this. I have to find that and I'll link it off. If people are interested, just comment on me or reply on Twitter. But for me, I'm always open to it, especially considering what the Giants quarterback situation is. But I did want to talk to you, Mark, about a quarterback who I kind of just got lost in the shuffle. You mentioned earlier that you think there's a chance or you said it was a good chance that both Ritter and, and um, I'm at like his name and, and, uh, and Pickett could, Pickett? Um, yeah. and Pickett could be going in the first round. If that's the case, let's assume that's the case. There's another quarterback I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on. And that quarterback's Carson Strong. You briefly mentioned him earlier. Now Strong is a quarterback who around September time, I started, started to get on my radar. I started to watch a little bit of Strong. I started to see some of the throws he was dropping in over the top. That always gets me excited, that ball placement down the field from a vertical standpoint. I also saw a little bit of what you were saying, which is kind of his ability to get to the line of scrimmage, diagnose what's going on, and get his players and his receivers into the right spots based on the coverages, and then put the throw on the money using the middle of the field, using that intermediate vertical area of the field. That's what always excites me at quarterbacks. Now, what I also saw with Strong was just some – unbelievable looking pockets that he was throwing from some of us like you it was almost like zach wilson at byu-esque type stuff where it's just like this is never happening no matter who drafts him in the nfl he's never going to get this ever again so that's those are kind of where i'm at with strong i'm curious what your thoughts are on maybe the giants or any team taking a chance on him at the top of day two or if that's something you might be willing more willing to do at the top of day three i mean i'd be willing to provided the medicals check out like you know, the, the medical picture on him is, again, a little bit unclear. Now, maybe we get news on it. I haven't heard of him getting a sort of a combine recheck, but if we do, we know where that's sort of trended. He talked about that at the combine, said, look, my doctors told me to take a year off. My dad told me to take a year off, but we came up with this. I, I wanted to play with my guys. I didn't want to leave my teammates behind. I wanted to play one more year in college. We came up with the six-month game plan, and, yeah, it impacted me. I it hurt my mechanics. I was compensating for that right knee injury. I wasn't stepping through throws. Matt Waldman and I did a long video breakdown on Strong, and you could see him 
you know, using all arm to make some throws that he's still attacking the middle of the field. And so if the medicals check out, I'm fine with him at the top of day two. Um, because you see him with perhaps one of some of the best arm talent in this class next to say Malik Willis. I mean, the, the arm is there and he was doing that with a lower body injury where he was compensating for it as part of his mechanics. I think that's impressive. I think his freedom and ability to get into and out of place at the line of scrimmage is impressive. I think even with the limited mobility he had, there were moments where you could see him move around and slide around and create space in the pocket. He had one play against Kansas state where he's sort of sliding away from pressure against a drop eight where he then drills in a, po- a dig route from right to left in between three defenders and the ref in the middle of the field. Like he's got four bodies to get the throw around that he still puts it exactly where it needs to be. And so provided the things from a medical standpoint are okay. I'm, I'd be happy as a, a fan of a team with Carson Strong at the top of the second round. The medical piece is the uncertain part like that. We don't know. We might get more clarification on that if there is a combine recheck or not, but provided the medical piece is there, I'm a huge fan of his game. Now we're also hearing weird rumblings about interviews not going well. And, mm-hmm. you know, we get, this is, this is, again, I, I caution everybody. It's anonymous scout season. Now is somebody lying to people about, trying to get Carson Strong's draft stock to tank from the second to the third round. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? You know, but they're saying he didn't know protections. And it's like he had full freedom at the line of scrimmage to, to change stuff. Like his coaches aren't going to do that if he didn't understand the offense, if he didn't understand things conceptually. Like you don't give a quarterback freedom to make changes at the line of scrimmage because of pressure looks or things like that if you think he doesn't understand your protection scheme. So like that didn't seem to make sense with me. I don't know. Again, it's it's lion season. People are saying stuff all the time. I I go by what I see with my eyes and what you know I'm seeing on film is a guy that has command of the offense. And it's really intriguing that you say that to me, Mark, because I'm just fully now on in the camp of if you don't have that plus arm talent, I'm I'm it's very hard for me to get interested in you as a quarterback. I just don't see a path. I don't see a ceiling, really, to be completely honest. I don't even know right now, looking at the NFL, if there's anyone who we could say has anything less than plus arm talent that you'd want right now to invest in long-term on in the NFL. I can't, I can't. I mean, do it, it, it does, does Burrow fall into that category? Well, Burrow's an interesting thought, right? Because I know he doesn't have the, the velo and he doesn't have. See, I, th- I think he has like arm talent. And it's not pure velocity. Exactly. It's like timing and trajectory. Timing and, and trajectory and, ball placement. Yeah. Which are part so of I, I consider that plus arm talent. Same. Same. And I think that's kind of what I've seen a little bit from strong, not on that level of Burrow. Let's right. make that clear. But I, when, for Armtown, for me, it's a lot about trajectory, ball placement, and changing the tempo of the passes, everything you just mentioned. But, you know, if you don't have that right now, I, I'm looking at this class, and I don't see too many guys with arm talent that excites me outside of Willis and Strong. And, and it's like – and Pickett in, to, in some spots. I see some good stuff from Pickett that I like from an arm talent standpoint. So just interesting to hear your thoughts on Strong. It feels like there might be a little bit of upside there, given the medicals, given kind of how he maybe wasn't able to play at his best because he wasn't able to use his lower half to, to yeah. do his throws. That's a huge factor right there. Yeah. Just interesting to hear there. Thanks for that input on Strong. And one more thing about Strong too, Mark. Do you think, and I know this is all hypothetical, but if he did not suffer those injuries, do you think we would be talking about him in like a top 20, top 25 rather than a day two type of prospect? Is there any other negative things with his game? Not that I see. I mean, I think the medicals are really sort of holding him back. I mean, you know, the problem is that it's like potentially a degenerative thing, like something he's had since like it cost him. I don't know if it cost him his entire senior year in high school, but I think a good chunk of it. Um, it's something that he's been dealing with for a while now. I mean, 
I, I think that's really the piece that's holding him back. And there might be other elements like Dan talked about playing behind, you know, some good offensive lines, playing from a lot of clean pockets. But I think it's really the medical stuff. I think if he's completely healthy, well, he'd probably be able to move a little bit better. Um, but I do think he'd be a little bit better prospect. A lot of people have sort of brought up Drew Bledsoe as a comparison for him. And I think that's kind of apt. Like, would Drew Bledsoe be first overall right now? Maybe not, but I still think Drew Bledsoe would be a first-round quarterback, and I think Strawn should be viewed in the same light. That's interesting, and I wanted to go out on this question because you've been so kind with your with your time, and that is just late-round quarterbacks. Because Dan Dan and I are of the opinion that you know you can't have enough quarterbacks, and if you like somebody a little bit later, like you you might as well invest if you think that they can be developed and can eventually be the guy. So, do you think? there is anybody in this class that can fall into that category and possibly be a future starter. That's not necessarily getting the buzz like these top six quarterbacks are. Skylar Thompson from Kansas state. Um, It's not my, you guys remember my love and infatuation with Brett Rippon, who I had as QB four that year. I'm still kind of living that one down. It's not to that level, but Thompson kind of looking at my board right now, there's a case to be made where he's QB seven, like after that top six for me. Um, And I've talked to some other people, people that, um, you know, don't really have a dog in this fight that just sort of evaluate quarterbacks and players. And, you know, they're working for uh, college teams or they're doing other stuff that work for different leagues. And they're saying, look, this kid might be the best quarterback in this class. Like I've talked to a couple of different people like he's QB one for me. Like I can't go there, but Matt Waldman and I just did a show on him. Matt talked really highly about him during this show. I don't know where Matt's going to finally end up, but it would not surprise me if Waldron's like, yeah, he's talent-wise, he's QB one or two. Wow. Um, yeah. he's. What's weird about Thompson is like he played sort of in a an offense where it's a little bit tough to evaluate him. Like They, they do some things where it's like a little bit tough to get a feel for what he can really do at the next level, but had some of the best pocket movement out of the guys in this class, made some incredible throws. He had a throw against LSU, which – we highlight again. LSU is in a bowl game. They had nobody. They were, had a lot of people out, but he dropped in an over route on post over along the sideline in the midst of like three defenders and just put it where it absolutely had to be. Um, you know, there's some questions about him from an accuracy standpoint at times. And again, it, you don't have a full body of work. He doesn't have the snaps and the reps that these other guys do, but you see flashes. And so, ultimately, for me, he's probably not like a day one or day two guy. But for New York and, and for the, the exercise of drafting a guy at, say, 112 or 147, Skylar Thompson fits it to me. Like, there are two other guys, Jack Cohn, the Wisconsin Notre Dame guy, that I think showed some flashes. Um, Caleb Ellaby from Western Michigan. I would have loved to see him go back for another year, but he decides to come out. Certainly has some arm talent. I know a lot of people really like his game. But for me, it's Skylar Thompson. I'm really excited about him. Emory Hunt is another guy that I, I was on with Emory this past week talking quarterbacks, and he's really high on Skylar Thompson. So I don't feel like – like in recent years, you've seen like Nathan Peterman get late buzz or Davis Webb or even last year Davis Mills, although maybe the Mills thing was warranted. I don't feel like it's that where people are getting bored and just, just looking at a name and, oh, Skylar Thompson, let's, let's talk about him. I think there's legitimately something there with him. That's great to hear. And I wanted to bring up, sorry, Dan, but I wanted to bring up one more name because this dude is just so, uh, 
such a ridiculous outlier, and that's Cole Kelly because this dude is six foot seven, like two hundred and fifty pounds. Do you have any? Um, have you watched his film, and what are your thoughts on him? Only briefly. Like, I mean, certainly a, a big guy. Like, I, I don't know if he's. I mean, he's again somebody like late day three or UDFA type. Like, yeah, I'd be willing to sort of give a shot. But I, I if we're talking sort of the late round, the guys that I've talked about. I'm much higher on than Kelly. Kelly's like, he's an intriguing guy. He's an intriguing study, but I, I'm not quite there with him. I'm, I'm much higher on particularly Thompson as, yeah, if you're going to throw that dart, take that lottery pick, buy that lottery pick on day three, that's where I'd be willing to go. I'm very intrigued by Thompson. I haven't watched much of him, but six, seven, obviously has the size. You believe he has the arm talent, correct? I Is do. I mean, trajectory, velocity, things like that. Yeah. Kelly is the one who's six, seven. Thompson's like six one, I think. Yeah, Thompson's oh, not that. Looking at the wrong, looking at the wrong uh, height, obviously here. Someone had this wrong, but and I obviously haven't watched much of him at all. But I'm really intrigued by it for sure. I will say this, Jack Cohn. You can count me out on the Jack Cohn trade. <laughs> I've seen way yeah, too. I mean, much. I get it. Like, uh, you know, that, that would again be a late round flyer. I mean, I, I'm still of the three that I sort of mentioned: LB Cohn and, and Thompson. Thompson's a guy where I'd say, look, turn him on. Watch his game a couple of years ago. Like yeah. he had a game against Texas where it was the 2019 season, I think, where Texas almost beat LSU. LSU wins the title. And he made a throw at the end of that game, that sort of safety splitter, where if it's caught, they beat Texas. Um, I think he's a, he's a fun kid to watch. Interesting. We're going to have to take some time on that, Nick, maybe do a little draft profile. Mark, thank you so much for your time today talking quarterback. I know we didn't get into any Daniel Jones, or at least not much, but the, hey. there'll be time for that. down the Later line. this summer, we know what we got to do. We got Jones talk coming later on. But thank you so much for talking quarterbacks with us. Have a great rest of your week. And everyone tuning in, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your week as well. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.